Good morning, River Tree. Uh, as we jump into the Psalm series this morning, uh, let me highlight just a couple things that you heard in our welcome video and just as we're moving forward kind of day to day through this process of gathering and worshiping and ministering uh, with one another and within our city. So we've We've decided to postpone uh, the children's event, the Bikes and Buddies and Bubbles event that was coming up this coming week uh, to a later date. Uh, and you know, just as we kind of are making kind of daily changes and trying to be sensitive to just things that are happening within our community and culture and just the spread of the, uh, the, the COVID and coronavirus, uh, I, it's our heart that we could just be uh, as careful as we can uh, towards those that are vulnerable, towards our neighbors. And so adjusting our services, uh, changing our schedule, I know at times is, uh, is, is challenging and it feels inconvenient. And there's certainly something within us that longs to be together and looks forward to the day where we will be ministering uh, in ways that we are more accustomed to. But right now, uh, thank you for your just um, sensitivity to that as we make adjustments. And so join us online. Uh, this Sunday will be online, next Sunday as well, and then we'll be making some changes as we just kind of learn more and see uh, how the situation continues to develop. But our time within God's Word, even as we're sharing it online this morning, uh, is uh, um, vital and, and critical for us. And so my hope this morning as we look at this particular psalm today, that you're going to experience a certain amount of encouragement uh, and insight into just the goodness of God. The Psalms have been a really special series for us over the last few weeks. And as we've talked about the Psalms, we started with this idea that the Psalms are often more about uh, our response to God rather than just kind of teachings or understandings of God himself. And I would probably, I'd probably back off that thought just a little bit as we look at this particular Psalm today, because what you're going to see in Psalm 139 is an understanding of God and our response to him both. That the psalmist David begins to reveal these deep attributes of God, things like his omniscience or his omnipresence. But what you begin to recognize within Psalm 139 is these attributes of God that often make him very different and describe the otherness of God, those attributes and characteristics of God that separate him to such a degree from humanity, these attributes, as we look at Psalm 139, are the very things that bring us encouragement, are the very things that David finds bring intimacy in his relationship with God. And so I want to look at 139 with you this morning, and we're going to kind of walk through this passage and just see how it brings a certain degree of comfort and encouragement to us uh, certainly on a day where we need this. So if you have your Bible, 139, and you can also use the YouVersion app where we've got the scripture and sermon notes and life group discussion questions. So it's another great place to just find a resource as we make our way through the scriptures together. Psalm 139, verse 1. It says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. 
If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. And when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This psalm has four sections to it. And we're going to work through the first three sections, which begin to give us these insights into David's meditations on God and his character and his attributes. And then this fourth section is really the kind of, it flows out of the first three, and it's this What's the response? What's knowing these things about God as David does? What is the response? Kind of what what moves within David as he begins to think rightly about God? And so David opens in verse 1 and he says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Eugene Peterson says that David begins with the central theme to the story of God, and it's this, a God who searches. And I love this way that David begins to teach us about the Lord himself in this way that David says it's God who searches for us. The story that we live in, the story in our relationship with God is not one in which man searches. If man's story gets played out, if man's story is the central theme, it is a story of self-centeredness and self-determination. But God's story What we see happening in the gospel is we have a God who moves, a God who pursues us, a God who searches, a God who comes near, a God who loves. And that's the way David opens this psalm as we begin to see this. It always highlights the story of God as the one who moves first. And it says that David says, God, that you searched. To search is to dig or excavate. it's It's to mine something that's precious. And you see that this is this intentionality of God, this work of God that gets below the surface of our lives into deeper things. And David says, you know me. You know when I sit. You know when I rise. You know when I go in, when I go out, when I lie down. You even perceive my thoughts. What David is beginning 
to reference is what theologians talk about when they think about the attributes or the characteristics of God, and specifically his omniscience, this attribute of God to know all, that God knows all, that God knows everything there is to know about everything, that there isn't a moment where God learns something. There isn't a moment where God is surprised by new information and all of a sudden that there is a plan B, that the omniscience of God that we see kind of being born, being revealed out of the scriptures, out of God's word is this, that God has all insight and all information at all times. And this becomes something that just kind of births within David, that there's, it's not just It's not just that God has all the information, but what begins to be surprising and amazing to the psalmist is that God has all the information about him. You know, God could um, absolutely kind of detail out for us photosynthesis and cellular respiration. We could sit down and God could tell us all about nebulas and how black holes function within the universe, what's really happening in Area 51. He knows how Stonehenge was constructed and what, it was, what purpose it had. He knows why when you watch somebody yawn, that it, for some reason it makes you yawn too. God knows all of those things. But what you begin to realize here is this beautiful, David says it's that not just what God is mindful of and, and the scope and the breadth of that, but that God would be mindful of him that David would actually be on the mind of God as if God knew David as if David was the only person on earth. God knows him like that. Ray Ortland says that long before any impulse wells up from within David's psyche, long before David himself knows what his next mood or feeling will be, Long before he knows where his train of thought will eventually lead, God perceives it all. God knows. Verse 4, it says, Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. David doesn't even get a word out before God knows the very thought that conceives and kind of births that word. And what an interesting idea, because our words, what we say to one another, is very much the way that we reveal one another, the way we are, we know each other. That you know the people around you to greater or lesser degrees by what they say and what they articulate, what they express. And David says this, but before I even say a word, before I even have the thought that says the word, God, you know that thought. You're there in that moment. You know me deeply. This is it. God knows David intimately. He knows you intimately. And I would say you could have various levels of comfort with this. A.W. Pink says that this omniscience of God, this knowing of God, can bring about an uneasiness in us. And I would ask you that, like, what is the sense that you begin to feel? What, what begins to happen inside of you? Is there this uh, c- concern? Is there a, 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 an intrusiveness about this to you? Is it, is it like telling your boss the kind of personal issue that you're going through and trusting him that that's not going to show up in a job performance evaluation later in the year? Like, what is it about God knowing everything about you that kind of brings about a certain feeling? For David, what's fascinating about it is it doesn't bring a greater sense of fear or trembling or worry. David marvels in it. David experiences a great deal of comfort 
He's amazed that God would know him in this way. He says this, you hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. David says it's overwhelming. This idea that God, that you would kind of hem me in or enclose me. This idea is, is kind of, it has this idea of to guard something valuable. There's this idea of the knowledge of God and the insight of God that brings greater interest to God, that he is covering David with a certain kind of knowledge and care, that all the details of his life are in God's mind, knowing everything he does, everything he thinks, everything he feels, everything that he's going through, and still loving him, wrapping him up, protecting him, like a blanket, just kind of laying on him. Some of you know what this is. Some of you have like weighted blankets that you sleep with. I don't quite understand this, but there's something comforting about laying under a heavy blanket. This is what David is saying. There is this heavy weight that kind of wraps him up and closes him and protects him. And it's this insight that God would have that God knows David better than David knows himself. And from that, David just says, this is too wonderful. This is so amazing. If we reach back a little bit into the Psalm series, Psalm chapter one, verses two and three said this, but those who delight in his law, the law of the Lord, those who meditate it on the law day and night, that person will be like a tree planted by streams of water. God tells his people to meditate and to contemplate his word all the time for kind of for the word of God to be impressed upon our hearts, for us to be preoccupied with God's word at all times. And what David is finding out is that God is preoccupied with him. That David is on the mind of God, that you are on the mind of God as God's people. God knows you. There's nothing that surprises him about your life. There's not new information that he has about you. There's not a new thought that you are going to have that God doesn't already know about. And the fact that God already knows everything that you've done and everything that you will do, everything that you've thought and everything that you will think and still comes to us and hems us in before and after, covers us, protects us and guards us as something precious. This is what David is giving word to, but it is deep. He goes on to say in verse seven, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? While omniscience is this all-knowing of God, now David begins to move into another attribute of God, and this is his omnipresence, that God is everywhere. God is everywhere. And it doesn't mean that God is uh, is everything. It doesn't mean that God is this table or the chair or the sky or the building. That's not that God is distinct as the creator, but he is also everywhere within creation. And this moves David to this idea like, where can I go? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths that you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn or settle in the depths of the sea, you are also there. Surely if I say darkness will cover me, you are also there. David begins to just explore the idea of not that if he's trying to flee God, but what if? How, how could you kind of 
be outside of the Lord's knowledge of the Lord's care in your life. And he begins to just speculate, kind of contrasting this idea of, well, maybe the first thing to do is go upward. You know, if, if you could climb to a certain height that maybe God couldn't reach, or if you could descend into an area in which maybe God could not kind of grasp you from. So he thinks about, well, heaven. Heaven is the highest place, but God is there. Well, if I descend into the depths, even Sheol, God runs Sheol. He's there as well. What about east or west? If it's impossible to escape God through kind of height and depth, well, then maybe if we move towards the dawn and if we set our sets towards the east where the sun rises, but maybe if we make our uh, kind of a, a, the depths of the sea, if we head west. So David is saying, I'm flashing back and forth to the east and the west. Where could I go that would escape you? Jonah understood this too. As he headed away from God, trying to escape God on a ship, right? He, he headed west and God chased him down in a storm pursued him, gathered him up. Sam Storms makes this remark. He says, to seek to flee God's presence in any and every direction is to fly to the center of the fire to escape the heat. It's to fly to the center of the fire to escape the heat. In other words, to run from God is to run into God. This is what David is beginning to begin to explore and it's good. He says, surely darkness will hide me. And how, much have, how many times have we felt that at times? That it's often in the dark that we do things we don't want anyone to see. And David says, the darkness won't hide me. Jesus chapter 1 says that you created light, Lord. You don't need light to see what's happening in the dark. Jeremiah 23, 24 can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? You know, perhaps this idea of where can I go, where could I escape from, begins to echo, begins to kind of point us to even what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, that they're neither through death nor life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, none of these things. There isn't anything that will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God cannot be avoided. You cannot escape God by skipping church. You cannot turn off your, find my iPhone or your Life360 app you cannot tell somebody that you're going one place and go another and God not be with you. God not be there. The third section is about omnipotence. It's this idea that, that God would be all-powerful. As God is all-knowing and all-present, that now David begins to draw out again this idea of God being all-powerful. But what David doesn't do, which would be really easy for us to talk about the power and the might of God as far as creating the planets and the stars and the mountains and the ocean. David brings God's omnipotence, his all power into his, into the very design of God in David's life. David begins to look at the way that God has fashioned him and designed him. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The words knit together means intricately woven. It's like an, an artist kind of embroidery. 
It's this idea that God would take even the smallest of details with precision and art in designing every muscle and bone and ligament and sinew and blood vessel. Like all of that is in within God's design. John Stott expressed this connection in this way. He said, God's omniscience, his all-knowing, which in the previous section has been attributed to his omnipresence, that God is everywhere, is now attributed to his omnipotence, that God can search man out not only because he sees him, but because he made him. How does God know you deeply and intimately? Because God sees us at all times. God is with us everywhere we go. Not only that, God made us. How does God know you? Because God designed you. God created you. Verse 16, all the days ordained for me were written within your book before one of them came to be. God's intentionality, God's powerful design on your life was a part of your first day and will be part of your last day. God is with you, designing in the details of your life at the start and at the end so that I can trust God with everything that I'm going through, with every feeling, with every emotion, with every thought, with every attitude, that God is powerfully detailing every aspect of my life from beginning to end. He knows me like that. He's with me like that. What what David is kind of working through in these first three, three sections is just kind of powerfully this amazing God that we have and these incredible attributes of his. And then the psalm, it takes a shift. And maybe you heard that when we read it the first time, but listen to what happens in verse 19. After David walks through these wonderful attributes of who God is, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, he says this, if only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, or abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. What's happened here? David's kind of walking through this, this, this beautiful presentation of the depth of who God is, and David's kind of being in that intimacy of that, belonging to God in that. And then it's kind of this moment where all of a sudden it's about these enemies that he just wishes God would take out. He hates the people that God hates. Get rid of the wicked. David is speaking here about those who would misuse the name of God, who would kind of cloak their deeds, the things that they would do, bloodthirsty. They would be murderers, abusers. They would kind of cloak this in some name of God that they would kind of label that as good or noble, but it's not. They seek to harm. They seek to kill. And David says, I see them, Lord. I know you see them too. I see evil. I see rebellion. These are enemies of love and peace and grace. They are your enemies. They are my enemies. As people have looked at the psalm over the years, they feel like, what is that shift? What's happening in this moment as David is working through these attributes of God, and then he kind of ends up in this place where he just sees evil. He sees the opposition. He sees that everything that was good that God would have us know about him is like not being, is contrasted with just what's happening in the world or with oppressors and people who are abusing the name of God. As David is meditating on these attributes of God and then he moves towards the wicked, I think there's the turn here is within Psalm 18, is within verse 18. David's 
walking out these, God, how precious are your thoughts to me? How vast are they? Or I'd account them, they would number the grains of sand. And then he says this, when I awake, I'm still with you. Oh, what's happening here? When I awake, I'm still with you. And then he goes into this kind of calling out the evil and oppressors. There is something, there is something about God's awareness over our lives. Him being an ever-present companion and the directing of all the details of our lives. And I would say, it sounds like a dream. I know that when I get to these places, and I'm sure you do too, where it's just the end of the day, and all the problems of the day are things that still are lingering, and you can just address the problems and the situations and the enemies and the things that are just kind of killing your joy and the things that are just in opposition to everything that you know would be good that needs to happen. And you get to that point in the day where you're just tired, you've hit your limit, and it's time to sleep. You know, sleeping is an act of faith. It's a moment where you realize that you just can't anymore. And from that point on, God, this is in your hands. And it's that moment where you hit your limits that the commitment of God towards you becomes even more beautiful and even more important. You can almost hear that in David as he's just kind of in a dreamy state meditating on all these wonderful qualities of God. But what happens when we wake up? It happened to me this morning. I woke up and immediately the problems of yesterday were right there in my mind again, kind of ready to be ordered, ready to be addressed, kind of the opposition and the enemies start mounting up again. And you feel this too, possibly on a Monday morning when you get up and all of a sudden you're looking at the week and you're like, it's all on me again and I've got to figure out what to do because it's daytime. And when David walks through this psalm about the attributes of God and just how he knows David, how he's with David, how he's detailing his life, David says that when I awake, you're still there. You're still there in the daytime, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the conflict, when everything is in view, when all the problems, when all the abusers, when all the enemies, when all the opposition is right there. God, you are there. He says, I see the enemies positioning themselves, and when I'm awake, you are still there. The rebels, those that are bloodthirsty, God, those that would want to do away with me, God, I see them, and I know you do too. But what's more critical to David is what he says next, that ultimately his prayer is, God, do a work in me. Do a work in me. God, I see everything that needs to be done. God, I see everybody that needs to, is opposing you. God, I see every enemy of faith that's around. God, I see every hurt, every betrayal, every action that is grieving and weighing on my heart. But God, do a work in me. Verse 23, search me, God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, if I can recognize it in them, right? If I can recognize those that would misuse your name, if I can recognize those that would take advantage of your goodness and your blessing, then help me recognize it in me. As important as It is to speak about the opposition out there. Psalm 139 says, God, more importantly than that is the opposition that may be in here, in me. 
I don't let me just miss the work that you want to do in me, in my own heart. Two thoughts. Two thoughts here. God, if you're mindful of me, that you are near, that you are present, that you are intentional and purposeful in the details of my life from start to finish, then I want to be on your side. God, I want to be on your side. Separate me from those that would kind of deliberately oppose you. Separate me from those that would be doing their own thing, taking your name in vain, uh, working their own efforts out to scheme and to plan for their own benefit in spite at the hurt of others. God, I don't want to harm other people. I don't want to let your blessing and goodness kind of be undermined by my own self-seeking. God, search me. I can see you, God. I can see the enemies of God. But I don't know what's happening inside of me. God, search me. I can't see myself as well as I can see the opposition and the people around me, and the problems. Search me. The oppressors are out there. But where are the oppressors in us? And this becomes this beautiful, the challenge is, is to treat God as if he's real. The challenge is for you to, to leave this morning and this time of just hearing God's word and worship and, and begin to move into the rest of your day knowing that God knows you intimately, that God is with you, that God is for you in this design to, to purpose your life and to design your life from start to finish, to, to walk into your next experience, your next situation, your next conversation as if God were real and, and to engage him that way. To know that where you, God, where you go, you bring him with you. That if, if he truly knows your life, cares for your life, covers your life, like are we living in a way that sees that as the incredible blessing that David does? Like we're not trying to avoid God, to escape God. We see this as valuable to us. That we're asking God to come and search us and to shape our lives that we would be open before him to bring the right amount of challenge, to bring the right amount of accountability, to not just assume that the problems are all out there, but the problems are here. God, search me, start here. This is the challenge to truly believe that God is real and before us. And I would say the second thought would be this, is to be comforted that God knows you're challenged by this and he still loves you that God knows you will struggle in this, that God knows all about you, he knows all about me, and he still loves us. He still searches. He still has a plan. He's never been surprised by the things that surprise us. He's never been confused. He sees and watches over those that he is with, those that he knows, and those that he has made. Alexander McLaren wrote this, not mere omniscience, but a knowledge which knows him altogether. Not mere omnipresence, but a presence which he can nowhere escape. Not mere creative power, but a power which shaped him. Fill and thrill the psalmist's soul. This is what's available to us, is to be thrilled that God would know us that well, would be that near to us in spite of all that he knows and would be detailing our lives. 
for his glory and our good. Aware of the smallest details, God knows every thought we've ever had right now. He knows all of that, and yet he's still here, still present. So let us, as David said, let us awaken. Let us wake up and see that God is here, that you're still here, that that David feels surrounded by the enemies, but more than that, he feels surrounded by the care of God, more than the oppressors. Let us wake up. You know, the bad guys were still there when David woke up. And in one sense, nothing had changed. And in another way, everything had changed because he had this new and deep belief in a God who knew him, cared for him, and was with him. And the assurance and comfort of God are not dreams. Something that you and I truly can experience, that we can truly know in our love for him and in his love for us. The love of God is more real than those that we hate. It's more real than those enemies that we see. The love of God is more real than our disappointments, more real than the betrayals, more weird than the weary hearts. In other words, if we know God like this, we can face anything. There's not a moment in your life or my life where we need to panic because of a God who knows us and is always with us and is detailing our lives. And the only way that you can go wrong is to give up on God who knows you, who's with us, and who's working all things out for his glory and and our good. Let's pray. Church, as we pray together, just consider this and let me guide you in this moment that God knows it all. That God, you are not surprised by my situation or what I'm thinking of doing. That you're always near, always in the details from beginning to my last moment how I started, how I will end. God, your thoughts towards me, of me, are too numerous to count, and I can't believe that you would be that mindful of me. So, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. God, I trust you. God, I invite the search process that into the places that are still even mysterious to me. God, reveal what is going on. I've got worries and hurts, anger, anxiety. God, if there are, if any of these are rooted in something against you, God, lead me towards yourself this morning. 
Lead me, bring me, draw me. Thank you, God, that you are always searching and always pursuing. So I ask you to do that work in me today, in us, that we might know you more deeply, trust you with all of our lives. Thank you, Jesus, that you showed us you are the love of God, the sacrifice of God, the power of God revealed to us in your life, death, in the resurrection, and now we can come to you and trust that, God, you really do know us, are with us, and care for us in every detail. Help us to trust you in that.